Brothers and sisters, are you wise? Who is wise and understanding among you, Sardis Church? How would you answer that question for yourself? James actually wants us to consider this. That's what he asks. Who's wise here? If we had to separate, uh, separate and say, on Wednesday we're having a, a meeting for all the wise people. You're coming to that meeting? Or no? I think many of us would hesitate to say that we're wise. But yet if you look at our thoughts, if you look at our lives, how we act, I think we have to admit that, that the way that we carry ourselves, the way that we, we think, the way that we work, each of us, we do think that we're pretty wise. But we're wiser than the next guy. We're, we're wiser than a lot of the people around us, right? How often do we think or even act like if everyone just listened to us, they would be a lot better off and we would be a lot better off and everything, everything would be way better if everyone just listened to me. And so in that way, I think we do think we're pretty wise, don't we? And that's okay. That's just where James wants us to start. Is considering for a second if we, we fancy ourselves wise, and I want to suggest that we do. All right, so that's the starting point. Because James is going to help us figure out whether we're right or not. Whether we're as wise as we act. And we'll see that he does this in two parts. First of all, he talks about earthly wisdom and its fruit. And then secondly, about true heavenly wisdom and its fruit. And so, if I asked you, maybe not about yourself, but I asked you, if I asked you to find out if someone else was wise, what would you do? How would you go about it? Maybe you'd ask for their resume. Maybe you'd give them a, a skill testing question or a case study. See how they respond. Uh, maybe you'd just want to read anything they've written, things that they've said or done. Maybe you'd ask for some references, right? Uh, well, in this chapter, James does something very different, doesn't he? In verse 13, James ta- uh, uh, reveals that he's talking about something very different than we might expect here. He says in verse 13, uh, Who is wise and understanding among you? So in other words, the wise one. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So in other words, James is giving us three marks of true wisdom right off the bat. He says, let wise people show their wisdom, first by their good life, secondly by deeds done in meekness or humility. That comes from wisdom. And so first James is saying that a wise person's life should be good. And that word, it means beautiful or lovely or attractive. Just the way that they do things, the wise person does things, it should attract us to their way of life. Secondly, he mentions deeds. When we think of a wide person, wise person, often we think of words, right? But no, no, he says, look at what they do in their day-to-day life. And then thirdly, James says that their deeds will be characterized by meekness or humility. And that might surprise us, don't you think? Is that what you think a wise person looks like? Is that how you think that we could find someone who's wise? Because I think that would surprise us, but we need to realize that would have shocked, maybe even offended, James' original readers. James was writing to a context and living in a context where the wise people of society, everyone knew who they were. 
They sat in the, the marketplaces and they talked all day. They talked a big game. And they were lovely and they were fancy and beautiful, maybe in attire. Or maybe they were attractive just because of their power or their charisma. They would spend all day showing off their wisdom, not with their deeds, but with their words. And they weren't humble at all. Very opposite. You can picture these wise people of James' day. They would go around, even the, the super wise people, the poets and philosophers, they would go around from town to town and they would demolish other people's arguments. Show why they're so much greater than these other people that you're listening to. Why you should listen to them instead. Uh, but here, James is flipping everything on his head. He, he says when you think of wisdom, you're thinking of something completely wrong. But true wisdom, let's call it heavenly wisdom, can be recognized by a beautiful, attractive way of life. Full of good deeds, characterized by humility. That's knowing your place, knowing your place before God. Putting God way before yourself, putting others before yourself as well. That's a wise life. And so what we should be asking ourselves now is earlier, uh, when we thought about if we live or if we act like we're wise people, what kind of wisdom were we thinking about? Because James is showing there's, there's different kinds. But were we thinking about James's heavenly kind of wisdom or a different, an earthly kind of wisdom? And thankfully, James gives us a test so that we can find out what kind of wisdom we, we tend to live by. And it makes me think of a, an illustration. So uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I was driving my very old, very rusty uh, Honda Civic down the road. And something very unfortunate, and I was completely baffled by it happened. It stopped working. Who could have seen that coming? And so I had to pull it off the side of the road, get it towed to the junkyard where it probably belonged. And then I had to go to a used car dealership to try and find myself a new car. And for me, that is a daunting task. I don't know anything about cars. There were hundreds of cars in front of me. Well, what's a good car? What's a bad car? I have no idea. And so I Googled it, as people tend to do. And uh, I found a, a really helpful uh, document online. And so this document, it gave me really specific concrete warning signs you could look for in a car. How helpful is that? And so it said, pop the hood, check the oil, and make sure it doesn't look milky. Milky. I don't know why. It just means there's something very badly wrong with the car and just steer clear. I can do that. Okay. Likewise, it said to pop open the glove box and see if there's any, any water in there. Again, there's a horrible problem with the car. I don't know what. Just don't buy it. All right, perfect. Uh, I can work with that. Uh, that's fine even for a, a not-so-bright person like me. Thankfully, James does something very similar for not bright people like us in this passage. He gives us a little checklist, uh, warning signs that we can look for, or look for to see if we're living by earthly or heavenly wi- wisdom. So what James says here in verse 14 is if you have a bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Do not boast and lie. And so those are the two warning signs that James gives us. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. If we look for those things in our hearts, James says, and if we find them there, then watch out. Because we're living according to the wrong kind of wisdom. And so we can work with that. But, but how do we look for jealousy and selfish ambition in our hearts? 
Well, maybe you've read the book Respectable Sins. Uh, I find it very helpful. Uh, I'd recommend it. And there, uh, the author, uh, Jerry Bridges, he gives some advice for looking for these things in our life. He says, first of all, each of us, think of people that you can really identify with, first of all. So think uh, if you're a student, then think of other students. If you're a teacher, think of other student, or other teachers. If you're a new mom, think of other new moms. If you're a new pastor, think of other new pastors. And then what you want to do is think about how you felt the last time you heard about something really good happening to that other person. Maybe that other person got some praise and recognition for something they did, and you didn't get that praise or recognition. Maybe that person got a really great opportunity that you wish you could have had yourself, but you didn't get it. Maybe that person just got something simple, a new car or a new house or a vacation. You wish you could have that for yourself, but God blessed them with it. He he didn't bless you with it. How did you feel? It's in these kinds of situations that we're most likely to find the jealousy and selfish ambition that lives in our hearts. And unfortunately, I think many of us, maybe all of us, have to admit that if we look for it in our hearts, we can find that there is jealousy and selfish ambition hiding in there. Uh, I know that that's true for myself. And how sick is that? Uh, I thought about that, thinking about times that other new pastors, other seminary students, they were blessed richly by God with opportunities or with praise or whatever else. And, and yeah, God pours out these blessings on them, and I resent them for it. What's that? Me, me and other pastors, me and other seminary students, we're on the same team, Tim. We're all working for God's glory. We're working for the praise of his name. I should be praising God that he blessed their work or that he's blessing them. But yeah, what often pops up first in our hearts is bitter jealousy, Selfish ambition. I want that for myself, God. I don't want them to have it. That's twisted, isn't it? Often we're discontent with our our status in life, our our place in life, our possessions, with the recognition we receive, and we want more. Or at least we want other people to have less. And in this passage, James says, if you see any hint of this jealousy and selfish ambition in yourself, Do not boast in this wisdom. Do not be false to the truth. Don't lie about it. Instead, he warns us to flee from this fake, destructive, earthly wisdom. Because, verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. I hope you can see a progression there. Earthly, unspiritual, demonic. So James says this kind of earth, uh, this kind of wisdom that leads to you trying to get yourself ahead at the, the expense of others or get jealous when you see others blessed. This wisdom is earthly. That means it's not concerned with God or the things he's doing. It's totally focused down here on yourself, on the people around you, like we heard about a couple of weeks ago. It's forgetting to look up. It's earthly. Next, James goes a step further. He says this false wisdom is unspiritual. The Holy Spirit has nothing to do with this. Finally, James says that this false wisdom is demonic. That's not a nice word, is it? When I, when I think of that word, I'm reminded of some mini, uh, missionaries that I've spoken to. 
Missionaries always have the most interesting stories, don't they? Uh, and they have all these things that go on uh, on the mission field. And uh, what, I, what usually I find sticks with them, what still rattles them when they think about it to this day, when they're telling these stories, is when they had an encounter with something that they feel was demonic. That sticks with you. James here is saying that there's something demonic inside of us if there's jealousy and selfish ambition living there. And this is shocking because James is writing to longtime Christians, many Christians who had been persecuted for the name of Christ and had fled uh, to other places. Uh, and more than that, if you look at James 3, verse 1, you can see he's specifically talking to those who desire to become teachers. These are probably longtime believers, these people who are supposed to be mature in the faith. And he's saying, watch out, there might be something demonic in your hearts. And what James is saying here is if we see any hints of envy or selfish ambition, this is kind of like a, a check engine light flashing, warning us that something wrong is going on in here. And then James continues to verse 16, and he tells us why it's so important to recognize these inclinations and to pray to God to save us from them. And that's because, verse 16, this earthly wisdom, jealousy, selfish ambition, it leads to disorder and every vile practice. Disorder and every vile practice. And that's because the center of jealousy and selfish ambition is the same. It's, it's selfishness, isn't it? And James tells us that this self-centeredness, uh, that leads to disorder and every vile practice. Well, the word disorder here, it actually means double-mindedness. And can you see this, how a person struggling with selfishness, or with selfish ambition, with, with jealousy, how, how this person is double-minded. Well, just think about it for a second. Uh, imagine you're a mom or a dad, and you're, you're disciplining your kid. All right? How, how does that look, getting your kid in trouble? If you're concerned about your own glory, you're concerned about your own comfort, you're concerned about what you've got going on and your plans for that day. Now imagine how that disciplining would look if you were only concerned with God and with His glory and His plans for your child and for your life. The discipline would look really different, wouldn't it? Same thing as if you're arguing with someone in church or if you're arguing with your spouse or someone else. Imagine how that argument might look if what's on your mind, what's on your heart, is your respect. It's your time. It's what you've got going on. Versus if what's on your heart and on your mind is God, His glory, what He has going on, what He wants to work. What's going on here is James is saying that a Christian who's infested with this selfishness leading to jealousy and selfish ambition, they're, they're double-minded. They're, they're trying to put God first. That's their profession. We care about God, His plan, His glory. But at the same time, they're, they're double-minded. They're also trying to get their share. Trying to get what they want. Trying to get their glory. And that's what James is getting at here. It's, our self-centeredness gets in the way of true heavenly wisdom because it's, it's the root of earthly wisdom instead. And we can see this so clearly in what I'm sure are words that many of you know. Famous words used throughout the Old Testament, especially in the book of Proverbs, but elsewhere as well. Brothers and sisters, what is the beginning of wisdom in the Bible? 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know those words? If we begin, we begin, the very first thing we do is look at God. Really look at Him. Look at the creators of the creator of the heavens and the earth. The one who made the stars knows them each by name. The one who made every hair on your head, he knows them all too. Every cell in your body. Consider, really consider this God. Look at him first. If that is the beginning of your wisdom, how can your wisdom, how can your life be characterized by anything other than the greatest humility? The greatest amount of selflessness. And if we want a picture of how us puny humans should live, and if we want another picture of the greatness of God that we're looking to first, as the very starting point of our wisdom, we shouldn't look any further than Jesus Christ, right? We read in 1 Corinthians 1 that Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. He is the wisdom of God in the flesh. And He shows us how to live. And He shows us what God's wisdom is. So let's look at Jesus Christ for a minute. Jesus Christ was so merciful to you and to me, wasn't he? Could he have been any more merciful? He was compassionate in our weakness. Could he have been more compassionate? He self-describes himself as gentle and lowly, that is, humble in heart. Jesus didn't demand earthly wealth or status or what he deserved. Instead, he humbled himself. He allowed himself to be mocked and beaten, and humiliated. Well, he did that, he put others, he put you and me way before himself, even to the point of death on a cross. What a savior. And he did all that to save helpless sinners, helpless people, you and me, to bring glory to God's name. Brothers and sisters, that's where your, that's where my wisdom starts. By looking at Jesus Christ, That's the beginning of true wisdom that we read about in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 23 to 24. And we read there, this is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And that wisdom from God completely transforms our lives as our starting point. The more we look to Christ, the more we will love him and be amazed by his beautiful walk of life. The more we look at him, the more we will hate our selfishness, and our sin that nailed him to a tree, that killed our best friend. How can we help but hate it more and more? As a a famous hymn says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And as I heard at the conference this week, uh, this, this song still works even if you change one of the crucial words. Think of it this way. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely clear in the light of his glory and grace. Doesn't that work too? Our arguments, our heated arguments uh, with other believers or with people in our family, the things that seem so important at the time, take a look at Jesus The things of earth will grow strangely clear. It's not that important. 
Our glory is not that important. Our time's not that important. But God's glory, that's important. God's plans, that's important. And the more our lives are focused on Christ, the more our lives will be characterized by the three things mentioned back in verse 13. By God's grace, our conduct will become gorgeous. It will be beautiful. People will be attracted to it. Not just our words, but our deeds. And in every aspect of our lives, we'll be characterized by humility. First of all, towards God. But also counting others greater than ourselves. And James spends the rest of our passage talking about this true wisdom and its fruit. We're on the second point now, if you haven't noticed. James tells us in verse 17 what this true wisdom looks like. Verse 17. The wisdom from above is first pure. First pure pure. And what that means, I always have this really silly illustration that comes to mind when I hear this. I heard it in a sermon once a long time ago. So when uh, you read this part, that it's first of all pure, pure, you can think of an orange juice commercial. Well, what's the thing that you heard on the last orange juice commercial you you listened to? They always advertise, it's 100% pure. That means they literally pick an orange, They juice it and nothing else. There's no impurity added. That's what James is talking about here. First of all, he is emphasizing this point. The wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's 100% focused on God. It's not double-minded. There's no a little bit of ourselves, a little bit of our own plans, a little bit of our own glory added in. No, it's pure and unmixed and undefiled. Just like Jesus' life was pure and unmixed and undefiled. Uh, on his one purpose of glorifying God and, and saving us. And of course, being purely focused on God transforms how we act towards others. And that's what James goes on to describe next in the, the next few words. First of all, uh, well, next in verse 17, James says that heavenly wisdom should make us peaceable and gentle. And that means if Christ is our wisdom, he is what we're pursuing, he's our greatest treasure. That we shouldn't be starting all sorts of unnecessary conflicts. We should be gentle and peaceable as Christ was. Think how gentle Jesus is. A bruised reed like you and me, he will not break. He invites us to come to him in our weakest, at our lowest points. You go and do likewise. And think about how peaceable Jesus was. To what extent did Jesus go to make peace where there was conflict. Peace between human beings. Peace between man and God. Christ paid dearly for the sake of this peace. He sacrificed his own self that there might be peace. How far should we go for peace in our families? Peace in the church? We don't give up the truth. But we make great personal sacrifices for the sake of peace as well. Next, James says that true wisdom is Open to reason. That is a difficult one. Open to reason. So earthly wisdom tells us that we need to be right. That we need to win our arguments. That if someone calls us out for something, you you fight back. You defend yourself. But what this tells us is if someone challenges our beliefs and behaviors, especially if they do it based on the word of God, we should be open to reason. Open to the great possibility, the huge possibility, and I'm probably wrong. (laughs) 
I'm not that smart. I I am a big sinner. I'm not that wise on my own. I'm going to hear you out. And and I'm not going to get defensive and try and stick up for myself. Why would I? Because actually, if I can't defend myself from the words of God, then I should thank you for calling out my sin. I hate my sin. Christ hates my sin. He died for my sin. If you have a biblical reason to tell me that I'm wrong, please tell me. Uh, I love the way that it's worded in Proverbs 9, verse 8. Do not reprove a scoffer. He will hate you. But reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Guys, do we love to be reproved? If we follow Jesus, if we have the wisdom from above, that's what flows out of it. Next, James says that true uh, wisdom from above is full of mercy and good fruits. And again, Christ is our guide here. Christ was full of mercy. His life was full of good fruits that made him attractive. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Then next, to round off his list, James says that heavenly wisdom is impartial and sincere. Jesus' life, Jesus' love was impartial and sincere. And thank God for that. Thank God that his love is impartial, right? Because how do we tend to love? You gravitate towards people that you naturally like. It's easy for you to like. Or people that you can get something out of the relationship. Imagine if God did that to us. We'd be doomed. What's Jesus getting out of his relationship with you? What's he getting out of his relationship with me? Well, at first we were, we were dead in our sins. We have nothing in our hands to bring. But Jesus loved us impartially. He, he offers the call of the gospel to all. He spent his time on this earth not with the, the wealthy, with the impressive, but with the sinners and tax collectors. He said that's who he came for. And likewise, this love that Jesus had, even for wretched people like us, it wasn't just a facade. It was sincere. How sincere is Jesus' love for you? You can see on the cross how sincere his love for you is. May we too love and live impartial and sincere lives as Christ did for us. And then finally, in verse 18, James finishes off this section with a very strange phrase. I wonder if you notice how strange it is when you read it. I missed it at first. He says in verse 18, A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Did you catch what makes that really weird? It's really obvious, but at the same time, it's kind of hidden. I'll read it again. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Brothers and sisters, what do you normally do with a harvest? You reap it. But here James says, a harvest of righteousness is sown. And so what James is saying here is that those who are wise and produce good fruit, especially those who produce peace instead of hostility and infighting, that they start to live a lovely, beautiful, attractive life to God like we heard about earlier. And this on its own, it's a harvest. It's beautiful fruit. It's pleasing to God. 
This fruit just doesn't stay with you. It's not just reaped up to God. It's sown. How wonderful is that? Maybe you can think of an example in your own life. I I hope you can. I can think of examples in this church, so I hope that you can too. Do you ever think of someone that God has done this with? Uh, Where someone is so Christ-like. Someone is so passionate for the gospel. Someone has such strong faith that, that you spend a little bit of time with them and you experience their fruits. They don't stick with themselves, but it's sown. After spending time with, with them, you leave and you say, God, thank you for what you're doing in their life. And Lord, in your grace, please make me more like them as they follow Jesus Christ. That's what James is saying here. We can see others so focused on God's glory and we can want to focus on God's glory and trust Him too like those others. And brothers and sisters, don't you long to be that sort of a person that people see you and they say, praise God for what you're doing in their life. Do it in my life too. Uh, I heard a story uh, from a pastor actually. He was pretty ashamed of it, but he shared it for the sake of this this, uh, sermon. Uh, he mentioned that one time, they, their church, they had someone come in off the street, and they were very happy. They're, they're always so overjoyed to see someone come in and to hear the gospel and profess their faith in Jesus Christ. And so they were thrilled for that member. But at the same time, they realized that he, he didn't really have much, if any, education. He, he didn't know how to speak very well. He wasn't particularly charismatic. He, he was barely literate actually. And so they were so happy to have him there. They invited them to to Bible studies and things like that for his benefit, for his edification. But what this minister said is that they were put to shame. Because it wasn't that long until they started going to Bible studies and prayer groups with this member. And they were left praising God. Thank you for what you've done in this man. Thank you for his faith. Thank you for how much he knows you, how much he trusts you. Lord, make me more like him. Make me more like Him. Because we worship a God who can make the sinful wise, or the simple wise, rather. And so now we've heard a little bit of the differences between earthly and heavenly wisdom. So brothers and sisters, let's look at ourselves one more time. Let's ask ourselves the question again. Who is wise and understanding among us? Are you wise? Am I wise? Are we living this kind of life? Do we stack up? And I hope by now the answer is very obvious to you as it is to me. The answer is that on our own we are sinful fools. We're sinful fools by ourselves. But through Christ we have wisdom from God. We have wisdom that leads to salvation for all with even a a, a little faith in Jesus Christ. And we have the wisdom to begin to live lives that bring glory to our God as we ought to. Beautiful Christ-like lives. And when we see jealousy and selfish ambition crop up in our hearts, we can humbly admit our lack of wisdom and our need for grace. Of course we need more grace. And the good news, brothers and sisters, is you can go to God. You can admit you're a fool. He already knows. You can go to God and you can ask for wisdom. And you know what? He will give it to you. Turn your attention to James 1 verse 5 for a minute. James 1 verse 5. If any of you, any of you here, Sardis Church, including me, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, 
who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. The only caveat James adds is that he asks in faith. What wonderful news is that? What a promise from God himself. God promises to give us this wisdom from above if we ask for it in faith. So brothers and sisters, are we asking for it? With a promise like that in the Bible, we would be fools if we're not asking for wisdom. Every day, every hour, every time there's a tense situation, any big decision we have to make. Asking for wisdom from God himself. He promises that if we ask in faith, he will give it to us. More than that, as we read together, James says, God will give it to us generously. He'll pour it upon us. God's not stingy with His grace, is He? And He'll give it to us without reproach. Our Heavenly Father won't rebuke us for admitting our lack of wisdom. He knows we have a lack of wisdom. Instead, our good and loving Father will be so glad that we asked. Won't He? Let's go to him regularly, asking for his spirit, asking for his wisdom, asking for help, because he knows that we need it. And as we go to him, we can go with confidence, because of the wisdom of God in the flesh, in Jesus Christ. As we read in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, God's uh, foolishness is greater than any man. Uh, He is greater than the greatest wisdom of any man. And in Jesus Christ, we can see God's wisdom played out. His wisdom of how he saves sinful people like us. He turns us sinners into great saints. And uh, we can see God's wisdom and his desire to save you and me for his glory. And how he's freely offered us salvation for all who believe in Jesus Christ as their righteousness and wisdom and salvation. And uh, all we need to do is go to him and accept his broken body and has shed blood for us. And we're about to remember that together, aren't we? In the Lord's Supper. That we're not perfectly wise, of course we're not. We're fools. Nevertheless, God loves us. Jesus Christ died for us. He gave us his body. He gave us his blood from the wisdom for above. And so now all we have is riches, forgiveness, salvation, in Jesus Christ. Amen.